This morning's scripture comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. We'll begin at verse 38. As he taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. They will receive the greatest condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than those who are contributing to the treasury, for all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Merciful God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the wind that blows. Even if there's a chill in the air, we know that it is the stirring of your spirit. God, we pray that you would open our eyes, open them to your beauty in the world, your creation, but open them as well, God, to the people around us. May we see the little pieces of you in their smile, in their eyes, in their movement. God, I pray that the words that would come out of my mouth today would, would not be my own words, O oh Lord, but that they would be your words, divinely inspired by you. And if I seem to get in the way, please speak in spite of me. Lord, we give you thanks and we trust you and we praise your name. Amen. Like many of you, I'm keeping up with Reverend Blackburn's trip while he's over there in England. They look like they're having fun. Facebook's a good thing, right? You can see everything that's going on. I keep getting their picture updates, and it makes me happy to know that they're kind of flitting about between London and Oxford and Bath and Manchester, learning all of these facts about John and Charles Wesley. When they get back, they're going to be encyclopedias of this knowledge. I'm not even going to have to teach that part in the new members class. I'm just going to make Suzanne do it. She'll know it all by then. I'm excited. I'm excited. But I keep seeing how much they're doing, and I just get worried that they haven't had time to take time and just rest, to hole up in some dingy old pub and just relax. I have this particular one in mind. It's called the White Horse. It's in Oxford. It sits next to the historic Blackwell bookstore, and it has this big bay window, and I hope that they have time to just sit there and do something I love to do. People watch. People. You know what it is. You know what people watching is. You live in Asheville. This is the people watching capital of the world, isn't it? And I don't mean to people watch in a way to judge. I'm saying when the creator of the universe stooped down and scooped up some dust and, and blew the Holy Spirit into it, this wonderful, exotic, strange, and interesting life form burst forth, right? Human beings are so interesting. If you just sit out any day on historic Church Street here, You'll get to see all of creation pass by you. You'll see the leaves as they change and fall. You'll see dogs going up and down the road. And you'll even see interesting people. And for a second, just for a second, 
Each of them comes into your gaze and they all come with their own stories, their own experiences, their own moving about. And we get to be part of that story just for a glimpse. People watching was a pastime that Jesus was familiar with. People watching was a pastime Jesus was familiar with. In today's scripture, Jesus has gathered his disciples again so they can talk about his distrust and dislike for these people called the scribes. He also would have included in that other people in the temple elite. From the onset, Jesus has been telling his disciples to beware of the people in long robes, giving long prayers, sitting near the front, maybe standing at the front. It's at this point I see some of you giving me some suspicious glances. That's good. That means that you're listening to Jesus. That's exciting. It means that I know where Jesus has put me firmly in this story, and I hope as we move along that you will know where he wants you to be. So Jesus has gathered his disciples together again to warn them about the dangers of venerating these leaders and teachers of the temple, to not make them out to be more than they are. He's already spent many chapters and verses up to this point trying to dismantle their, fa- their, their false and hypocritical teachings. He's trying to say that their lifestyle isn't one that he agrees with. He says in verses 38 and 39, that these scribes enjoy the finer things in life. They hope that their status at the front of the temple might garner them status in the community. They hope it might get them invited to fancy parties and maybe this newfound affluence will give them the ability to buy fancy robes. All of these things, their being and their teaching, were antithetical to the person and teaching of Jesus. However, The way they gained their fortunes is really where the trouble lies. This is really what draws Jesus' ire. There are many interpreters and scholars who point out that verse 40 is where this whole piece of Scripture hinges. The scribes made their living by devouring the houses of widows. Now, some interpreters argue that this simply means that they would tax people that came to the community every time they had to pray. And if you didn't have a lot of money, that could run up a a big bill. Some also say that uh, if you were a peasant farmer, you would have had a lot more children. And so every time you had a child, you had to pay at the synagogue five shekels to go through the bris ceremony. And that could have been very difficult and, and expensive. But remember, the temple itself was already a place that Jesus saw as being corrupt in its economic practices. A verse before this Jesus walked in and and literally drove people out for their corruption. But the corruption didn't end there in chapter 11, and so again, Jesus has to come back and remind his disciples about these scribes. But one scholar by the name of J.D. Darrett, who was a lawyer before he went through seminary, had a different view of this text. He said that in a patriarchal society, widows would have been pretty near the bottom of the totem pole. If they didn't have a male representative in their husband or or an adult son, they had no one to manage their affairs, to manage their estate. They had no way to conduct business, to buy or own property. They literally had no social voice. So some of these widows, knowing that they had no other option, would go to the scribes, these men at their church, and they would give them their estate as a trustee and say, here, 
Will you please help me manage my estate and you can have a percentage of any of these assets? But this often led to embezzlement and, and, and greed and fraud. And this abuse would end up leaving the widows poorer and poorer and the scribes richer and richer. This was a practice that Jesus wholeheartedly rejected, and I feel that all of us here would wholeheartedly reject. Jesus is trying to debunk to us and to his disciples this idea of scribal authority and piety, saying those robes that they put on and those prayers that they say is nothing but a thin veil covering up their false and malicious economic interests. He's saying these people are taking advantage of the people that needed the church the most. These scribes are taking advantage of the people who needed the church the most. They're literally devouring the houses of widows. So right after this brief economic lesson, Jesus situates himself now facing the treasury, sitting in opposition to it, so he can begin to observe the crowd, to do what he loves doing, to people watch. But unlike our sitting out here on Church Street, Jesus being God truly knows all of the people, all of the souls moving about around him. And so there he sits opposite of the treasury as if to say with his own body, I'm opposed to what's happening over here. And that's when he sees her. She must have been shuffling at this point and, and hunched over in her old age. Her feet would have been gnarled and weathered because she couldn't afford shoes any longer. She had nothing left. She shuffled up, and, and Jesus quickly called his disciples to him, and he pointed her out. Look, there is the perfect illustration of the lesson I just told you. And as the widow shuffled past these people dressed in long, elegant robes, she finally made her way to the front, and with all of her might, she tossed in her two coppers and walked away. Now, Jesus does not praise this woman for her charitable giving. Instead, he points out to his disciples that she is the only one in this entire place that gave all that she had. Literally, the Greek here can be translated, she laid down the entirety of her life, her whole life that day she laid it down. Now, I know all of you have heard sermons about this widow before, sermons that appear coincidentally during the stewardship season. They appear so that we can maybe pump up our own giving, push us into deeper giving. We take this woman's offering, we hold it aloft, and we parade it around saying, this is how we should all be giving. And while we should all be striving to give more of our lives to the betterment of the kingdom of God, if we look at this poor widow and we do not think about who it was that devoured her fortunes, her house, her entire livelihood, then we've missed out on the point of Jesus' teaching. If we use this widow only to show how she can increase our offerings, then we have used her just as the scribes have used her. It was in preparing for this sermon that I, I had this thought come back to me. Surely this practice of devouring widows' houses doesn't happen anymore. And I had a thought about when I was a child. You know when you overhear conversations of adults around you and you're young, and you don't really know if, if that happened. So I had to call my mother, Mom, did this did this memory happen? And she said it did. The memory was of a, a woman that was a friend of our family's named Annabelle. Now, Annabelle had this tiny little farmhouse that sat on four acres. Her husband had got it when 
a man couldn't pay a debt back, so he gave him the land as a way to satisfy the note. And there they lived together amidst all the other farms. But as Houston expanded, all of these other farm plots got bought up, and, and suburbs went up. Cookie-cutter houses began to run along the edges of Annabelle's property, and then her husband died, and she was left alone there and vulnerable. The developers of these subdivisions all promised their clients, as soon as we can get our hands on this land, you can have a bigger backyard. You can have all the space that you want. You could have a pool. You could do anything. But Annabelle was not quick to let go of her solace in suburbia. She was not quick to let go of the little piece of heaven she had carved out there on the four and a half acres. She leaned on the love of some of her friends to come in and partner with her, to help her to face these litigators that wore fancy clothing. As time went on, all of these meetings, these fights with lawyers began to take their toll on her body. She got cancer, and, and the treatment began to, to break her down and, and, and make it more difficult for her to show up. But her friends got her there, made sure that she was there. And on the day that she signed one last signature to say, we're done with all of this, I'm keeping my property, she looked across the table at those litigators dressed in their fancy clothing. She said, today would have been my husband and I's 50th wedding anniversary. She held the pen up after she signed and she threw it down with all her might and said, I'm going home. Often in society, the people who need the most help are the ones that are the most exploited. In this story today and in Annabelle's story, we see corrupt institutions trying to profit off the backs of the poor, the disenfranchised, and the forgotten. Jesus, when he looks at the poor widow bringing her coins, is now pointing out to his disciples, it's not about the lavish giving or the lavish dress. It's about the laying down of one's life. He's saying, if you look through the crowd, if you people watch, and you find the poor, the meek, the tired, that's where you're going to find me. If you look into this crowd of people and you find the person that doesn't look like they belong there, that is where I am. Jesus is not sitting as the scribes do next to the treasury. He's not sitting there counting each offering that comes in, demanding a payment for his own lavish lifestyle, hoping that the books will balance in his favor. No, he sits opposite and commands us to love. He commands us to love in such a way that when we come to him, opposite of the treasury, that we will lay down our lives, that we will lay down our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, our witness, in order to bring about the kingdom here and hereafter. You see, Jesus knows right now as he sits there opposite of the treasury that the, at the end of the week, he too will be making a long walk like this widow's walk. He'll have to shuffle under the weight of oppression to the face of a corrupt institution and lay down all that he has his entire life. I have a feeling that day when the old widow walked up and threw in her coins, she threw them down with her entire might. She threw them down so that they would make a loud clang, one that echoed throughout the generations, one that was out of compassion, not fear, one that said, here, take the last bits of what I have. You've taken everything else from me. Take it all, because now I am free from you. 
I'm liberating myself from this corrupt institution and from this corrupt way of thinking. As she walked away, I could only think that she thought to herself, if only there was someone, if only there was something sitting in opposition of this treasury. If only there was someone willing to lay down their life for me and to bear with all their might the sins and sorrows of this world. If only there was someone sitting opposite of this treasury. If only, if only, may it be so.